1: To join the show, use the live chat window or call now 888 55 Unity. That's 888 558 6489. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning. And welcome to the Yoga Hour. Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour. Today, we'll be talking about yoga in its broadest sense. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that means oneness, union, or unity, and really has a much broader meaning beyond perhaps the way some people think of it of, as a system of exercise or stretching, but it really has to do with uh, philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious fulfilled living in today's world. And our topic today is finding the power within. We're going to be talking about practices that help open the heart, Enlighten Consciousness, Dissolve Wounds, and Secure Lasting Peace. And all this can happen through establishing a connection with the consciousness of unity. Um, We have a wonderful person to discuss this with today. James O'Day is an activist, mystic, and author of several books, including The Conscious Activist, Cultivating Peace, And most recently, Soul Awakening Practice, which is the book we're going to be discussing today. James is a former president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, Washington office director of Amnesty International, and CEO of the SEVA Foundation. He has taught peace building in over 30 countries and has conducted frontline social healing dialogues around the world. James is a member of the Evolutionary Leaders Group and on the advisory board of the Peace Alliance and Cosmos Journal. You can find out more about his work at james.oday.com. Before we begin our dialogue with James O'Day, let's begin with a moment of meditation. Let's put into practice the yoga that we have been talking about. Let's take this yoga moment. Oh! So let's begin by just bringing ourselves fully present wherever we are and whatever we're doing. Feel where your body is in space, whatever you're doing, whether you're walking, driving, sitting, just feel your body wherever it's touching the ground or chair or support. And then just notice as we bring our attention to our breathing and take a fully conscious breath, just noticing as we inhale and exhale, feeling the parts of our body that move as we inhale, perhaps our ribs, our belly, and then exhale, and noticing the natural flow of the breath, not trying to change it, just watching as we breathe in, and breathe out feeling the cool air as it enters the nostrils and the warming as it flows out each inhale we can dive within and each exhale we can relax In this moment, as we dive within, we can open our heart to the essence at the core of our being. This essence, this divine connection is called by many names and is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right here and now, this divine essence is present. As you, as me, as everyone and everything. It's within us, between us, and all around us. And just by being present and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being. We may notice thoughts or feelings as they arise and realize that we can watch them and notice when they pass away. We touch our essential nature beyond words and thoughts, beyond all change, beyond sensation, pure existence being, We feel the peace that emanates from this place, from the essence of our being, and allow it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Oh. James O'Day
2: Hello good to be with you Laura
1: Oh wonderful Welcome back to the Yoga Hour I know you have been on the Yoga Hour in the past and I'm really delighted that you could join me today to discuss your new book Soul Soul Awakening Practice, Prayer, Contemplation and Action So what inspired you to write this book at this time?
2: let me just Say, I got uh, wonderful news yesterday that the Soul Awakening practice has been awarded the Nautilus Book Award. Oh, as, congratulations! As their top category of spiritual gift book.
1: Oh, great! What a lovely what a lovely idea! Let's, yeah. uh, giving this book to someone as a gift that would be great. So what inspired you to write the book?
2: It was really that sense of how to get a synthesis of the knowledge that I've gained in peacemaking, in spiritual mystical pursuit, in consciousness work that I did at Institute of Noetic Sciences, the power of prayer contemplation and action, and have not just a kind of intellectual book, but a deep contemplative practice book that would take people into that map. And I think it's so important to have some overarching map that helps unify and put together the strands of knowledge and experience, we we start really with what is the soul? I mean, people talk about the soul a lot. Mm -hmm. So the book, as you know, has these short contemplative thoughts that people sometimes just pick the book up and read them for guidance. But each section also has a short essay by a leading thought leader. And it's based on a prayer that came to me that I, I'd like to
1: just share with you now, Laurel, if I might. Oh, that would be wonderful. <clears throat> I was I wanted to hear it definitely as part of the program. Why not now? Go ahead. Great.
2: So... The prayer is repeated four times, first for yourself, then for those you're close to, then for all of your connections, and then for the world. Soul awakening, heart opening, light shining, love flowing, wounds dissolving, peace radiating. And then you take that prayer and, as I said, in layers, pray it for your family, for your friends, for your connections, and for the world. Mm. So just, we'll do it one more time for all beings on planet Earth. Think of all beings as you hear these words. Soul awakening, heart awakening, opening light shining love flowing wounds dissolving peace radiating mm. and that first part soul awakening the map there i think you'll agree particularly from unity perspective is that the soul is from the essence, comes from the entire unity of the Godhead, from the totality itself, and begins this descent into creation, into experience, into lifetimes of knowledge and growth and eventual fulfillment. You know, the in the Vedanta they have that wonderful word, Paramatma. Atma is soul. Paramatma is over soul.
0: hmm
2: And we have that sense that the soul is the drop that comes from the ocean and returns to the ocean.
0: Mm-hmm. And. Mm-hmm.
2: What is so special about soul awakening, and I I know you have a keen sense of this, is that there comes a lifetime when the soul has, has been journeying through experience and it gets confused as to what is reality, gets lost in the naya, the illusion, the ego... There comes a special lifetime when the soul starts to awaken to remember, Oh my God, look at where I come from, mm-hmm. look at who I am in my essence. It doesn't, it's not like a magic wand, it doesn't cure all ills, but it begins the journey inward to the back to the source. Mm. And so. Right,
1: me. And that's exactly what i was what I was referring to uh, in the meditation uh, that I led. So, in the introduction to the book, which was done by Lynn McTaggart, um, she describes the agenda of the book as establishing a new consciousness of unity and connection, which, again, as I talked about earlier, um, the unity consciousness is really at the heart of yoga and even the, the meaning of yo the word yoga, the Sanskrit word yoga meaning oneness, union or unity. So what role do you see for the book in helping to establish this new consciousness of unity and connection?
2: I believe the book has a contribution for that sense of unity because At its heart, it is non-dual. It's about oneness. It's about the continuity and connection of the inner and the outer. So as somebody in my own life who's had sort of a parallel journey of mystical pursuit and activism, you know, even as a teenager in London, I wrote about this in my book, The Conscious Activist, I was given awards for as Teenager of the Year for social welfare work I did for senior citizens. Oh wow. And that went on to big stuff like Amnesty International and fighting the murder and mayhem of the world. But how do we have that that continuity of consciousness that says transforming the outer world is mirrored by transforming the inner world and that they cannot effectively be separated and achieve their goals. Because if we disconnect that inner contemplative journey from the activist, the activist becomes consumed by either anger, self-righteousness, or overwhelm, burnout. Yeah. And... And yet, there's a reason for creation. It is not that God said, I'm going to put you in a very difficult place and you learn how to escape it. And Mm. that's escapist spirituality, isn't it? It's not true yoga. It's not that oneness that we're speaking about. The spirituality that we're speaking about says, there is a creation... It's unfolding in evolutionary purpose, the purpose which the masters know and serve. Mm-hmm. And that purpose we have to participate in. We need courage, we need strength for these days where the lies, where the corruption, where the ecological problems are so severe. But we cannot get trapped in the outer. We have to balance it with knowing That it's all sourced by love and creativity and wisdom if we choose those inner practices. Mm -hmm. So that's where the convergence is for me, where the oneness is for me, Mm Laurel.
1: Yes, I I really appreciate that about the book. in that you're really talking about not just you know what we can do in our own inner spiritual practice, perhaps our meditation or uh, yoga practice, but really taking it off of the mat or off of the meditation cushion and out you know into the world, really integrating contemplation and action. So what what does that look like? What does an integration of contemplation and action look like in daily life?
2: It looks like, you know, those aspects of yoga that when we break down the components of yoga, there is bhakti yoga, there is the yoga of the sheer worship of the unity of the source of the totality. It is the deep relational connection with that reality which is so, as we have been stating, so essential. And then there is the karma yoga, which is the yoga of action, of service, of really harmonizing and creating human unity out of selfless service Mm -hmm. every day, Think of an act of service. Have I served others or have I only served myself? And then in yoga too there is Jnana Yoga, which is the yoga of the mental planes, of the unifying principles of higher mind and, you know, the purification of consciousness itself, of learning, of study, of acquiring knowledge and acquiring that gnosis which is the knowledge and it's the mind and the heart blended together that gives us that access to the higher reason and higher mind. So I think of, you know, prayer, contemplation and action as, you know, a, a description really of those different aspects of yoga.
1: Yeah, boy, what a beautiful description. I'm I'm really impressed. <laughs> you could just pull out that. That's great. So one of the quotes from the book is, uh, you, you tell us that, quote, we need to embody our prayers and meditation in transformational practices that recreate our world in the image of our soul's true wisdom. And I just think that's really beautiful, recreating the world in the image of our soul's true wisdom. So, when you talk about transformative, uh, transformational practices, I think you've mentioned some already. I mean, lots of you know forms of yoga um, can be the kind can result in the kind of transformation you're talking about. What else comes to mind when you when you think of these um, transformational practices that help to recreate the world in our image of our soul's true wisdom?
2: It's that sense of you know that the prayer we we live. You know, as I say in the introduction, the great contribution that is ma- is made to our understanding of the nature of prayer by the Unity Movement and by New Thought spirituality, but that there is a great tradition of prayer that says it's not just about asking for help and support. It's about communing with the divine, the wonderful mm-hmm. prayer of the heart, the Jesus prayer. There is some sense of, you know, transformational practice that comes from doing what in yogic signs we call jopa, mantra, you know, inner communion. As we go out into the world, we have an inner level of spiritual concentration that is taking us to the place where we want to go. So the great contribution, and I see new thought and high yogic understanding as completely one. Mm -hmm. It's not about, you know, begging the Lord for help, But it's it's relational, it's internal, it's communing, it's going to that place where the revelation exists, where we live with the vision. It's another aspect of practice, isn't it, Laurel? Mm -hmm. Visioning, you know, being led by vision, seeing the world transform, knowing that the whole destiny of humankind is to go through these terrible levels of suffering. And as somebody who worked as director of the Washington Office of Amnesty International for 10 years, I can tell you, as you might expect, the stories of incredible levels of human suffering. Mm -hmm. And yet it's not in vain. It is and part of our journey that we can move out of that level of atrocious suffering through the contemplative and prayer practice of living in the vision of our own transformation. Mm -hmm. And we know from science and how the brain works and how the neurological paths work that what we give our attention to is what we become, is what our body responds to, our whole body rewires around our vision. Mm.
1: That was just really, really beautifully, beautifully said. So um, I'm happy that we're talking about prayer itself, because this is a prayer, as you, you know, you said it, and we'll have you say it again in a bit. but. There are a lot of people who, you know, struggle with this idea of prayer, and and perhaps it's because it came to them in a religious tradition that they no longer feel comfortable practicing, or maybe they're sort of stuck in the idea that that the only method of prayer is is the one you mentioned, supplication, asking God for a specific, you know, outcome. Um, So, what do you say? when you encounter you know that uh, people who have sort of a resistance to prayer, and how does your inclusion of these you know uh, perspectives that you just mentioned, new thought, positive psychology, neuroscience, how does that help us to open this area of prayer?
2: I think people have had that sense of loss in the distance of prayer. And, you know, that it's become ritualized and formulaic, not not personalized, not actualized in their experience. And that understanding of prayer as communion, as opening up, The body itself, you know, I I love some of those mystical traditions that really make prayer an aspect of the body. And, you know, that wonderful mystical work of the 14th century, The Cloud of Unknowing,
1: So, I'm going to have to ask you to just hold that thought because we've come to the break. Uh, You're listening to the Yoga Hour with special guest James O'Day. He's a former president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, Washington office director of Amnesty International. And also the author of the book we're discussing today, Soul Awakening Practice. You can find out more about him at his website, James O'Day, and O'Day is O D E A dot com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at Yoga Hour at Unity FM. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about how to use this soul awakening practice to dissolve wounds and secure lasting peace. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour, and my guest today is James O'Dee, which I have been mispronouncing, and I apologize. Uh, James, you were just telling me that in Ireland, um, that's that's how it's pronounced, O'Dee, but often in America, people mispronounce it as O'Dee, so I'm sorry that I fell into that trap.
2: No problem. No
1: <laughs> problem. So, uh, James has taught peace building in over 30 countries and, again, is the author of the book we're talking about today, Soul Awakening Practice. So, James, we we had you um, actually recite the Soul Awakening Prayer a couple of times in the beginning, and I'd like to open this segment by repeating it again before we talk about it further. So, would you mind um, going ahead and and repeating it again? And, um and I think the information about how you use it I think is also very helpful, so go ahead.
2: So here it is. Soul awakening, heart opening, light shining, love flowing, wounds dissolving, peace radiating and as it directs you in the book you can repeat this prayer four times the first time the soul awakening you're really focusing on your own soul awakening and your own heart opening etc and the second time it's beautiful to, to do it in a small prayer group or a family group or with your beloved or cl- close in and then the soul awakening is your awakening together and the third time visualize all of those connections of family, friends, colleagues and the whole soul awakening heart opening, light shining in that from that perspective And then finally, visualize the whole planet Earth, the soul awakening, heart opening, light shining, love flowing, wounds dissolving, peace radiating across the planet, our destiny to finally come to that place, to bring our consciousness into that healing vision of the whole movement of the entire soul of humanity finally awakening and revealing the divine plan.
1: Mm. It's just really, really beautiful. So tell us a bit more about how you developed this prayer practice. I think you said that it, it came to you? It really came,
2: yes, very complete. There was only one element that I mean, the words just dropped in one day in my own prayerful contemplative practice. And then everything was very clear except wounds. And it was a sort of combination of, should it be wounds healing or wounds dissolving? And then the answer came back, no, it should be dissolving. Mm-hmm. The wounds dissolve and if we look at each element of the prayer, we've talked about soul awakening, that atma paramatma element of the soul as the seed of the divine and the heart too. You know, I say on my website, you often think that your heart is your own. But I'm going to ask you today, the next person you see, ask them, how is our heart today? Mm -hmm. How is our heart? We share the heart. Mm -hmm. You know, we share a universal heart. We share a very, very, very big heart. In the Quran, you know, it says, universes cannot contain me. But I am contained in the heart of the beloved who loves me. Mm. The heart itself is the center, it's the uniter, it's the organ of integration. And so I encourage you and it's a wonder I've had wonderful feedback from people. How is our
1: heart today? Mm. Yeah there's a prayer at at uh, that, that we say at uh, center for spiritual enlightenment and um in it one line uh says something about our life and some people instead say our lives but when you look at the prayer it's written down no it's our life mm. you know our our one life you know so it's a, it's the same thing that's a that's beautiful practice so How do you see this practice, this individual, you know, prayer practice, and then people taking that, you know, out into the world in various ways? How how do you see that transforming? And I think in particular, what's amazing to me is I know you have experienced violence and you have experienced so many places Of, um, you know, where the fabric of society has really been torn, you know, places that have been, you know, war-torn nations and, you know, neighbor against neighbor, family member, even potentially against family member. And you've, you know, through your work with Amnesty International, I think you've really encouraged this deep listening, you know, practice and movement toward wholeness. So how do you hope that this new book, this new practice will add to that? I think so
2: heartening for me to see how many people and groups are using it as a daily practice. And and there are several unity groups that have contacted me and, and said, you know, they, they work with the practice. And what it does is when you combine the practice and then the con- contemplations in the book are short and deep, as are the short essays. They, they help you shift in some important ways. In that section on peace radiating, that shifting of the paradigm in peace, it says, peace is never passive. Peace is receptive, but active. It radiates out. I can't tell you how many people have read that section on peace have said it's really shifted their whole perspective on peace, that peace is a dynamic force in the universe peace is alive it is radiating and we're invited to radiate it it's not about opposition it's not the force in the universe that says not this not that you know just be quiet and you know, peace will come to you but it's the very activation of your soul's core the prayer begins with soul awakening and ends with peace radiating Because there is that sense of dynamic, you know, very, very active force in the universe that we are invited to participate in. But, you know, we get blocked, of course, by our wounds, and our wounds are deep. And and in fact, you know, after I left Amnesty International, I did a lot of work around what we call social healing, Israel, Palestine, in Northern Ireland, in different hotspots of the world, that, you are know, bringing perpetrators and victims together. The perpetrator is also wounded. And mm-hmm. until we address the transmission of wounds from generation to generation, we will not have peace. And those wounds dissolve this powerful sense of actually the, the power they have over us dissolves when we come together in dialogue to seek understanding when we come with forgiveness when we come in the spirit of unconditional love there is so much that can be accomplished socially when we move you know towards that kind of unconditional love and radiant peace.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, as you mentioned in the book, uh, there's actually a section for each line of the of the uh, prayer, and so there's a section on, um, as you were mentioning, soul awakening, and uh, in the uh, commentary on lo- on the section on love flowing, which was written by. Kabir Helminski, he describes love as ultimately spiritual, because love is profoundly related to the nature of reality itself. And he goes on to say, to explore the nature of love is to come to understand its absolute importance for us in the fulfillment of a need. Its relationship with beauty, its power to awaken new perceptions, its transformative effect on us, and ultimately how it leads to the perception of truth itself. But I think it's just really, really just beautiful the way he puts, you know, love in the center, which, of course, is not a you know new concept at all. I mean, it's in the center of many um, spiritual traditions, really recognize this central, you know, role of love. Um, but despite all of this, you know, positivity that comes to us from practicing love, we often struggle with love, especially as it relates to those who are different from us. And we see that every day, don't we, in, in the newspapers. So so what stands in our way, you know, here? What, uh, what, you know, why is it that it's so difficult to get past the differences toward that unity consciousness we've been talking about?
2: Yes, that's a great question, Laurel. I think, at least in part, the roots come close to home where... You know, love becomes in some ways conditional. Oh, you've been a good girl, you know, and, and you've been a good boy and you'll get the reward. Or you've got good grades, well done, I, we really approve. And there are a number of ways in which the love experience is conditioned around approval of things that we approve and want to happen the way we want our children to grow up or the way we want our employees or our colleagues to treat us if you rub my back I'll rub your back yeah and you'll get the rewards otherwise You'll get ostracized. You won't be loved. You'll be thought of as something else. And those great beings, our parents, our grandparents, sometimes our teachers, who communicate to us, you are loved for just who you are. And when that gift comes through, when the real experience of unconditional love comes, then the story really changes because we experience the reality that from the divine perspective, we are lovable, we are infinitely lovable. We make mistakes, we act out of ignorance, but we are deeply lovable beings and so I think that that element is pervasive. And, and how to practice unconditional love? How do we love, in the social order, those whom we disagree with? You know, some years ago, there was a very nasty conflict between the pro-choice, and pro-life activists in Massachusetts in the Northeast and a group called Cambridge Dialogues brought the women together for dialogue over a six-month period, regular weekly dialogue. And when they had finished, the media was interested And they asked, the first question was, well, who convinced who, who changed their opinions? Right. And the answer from the women was, actually, most of us got reconfirmed in our fundamental beliefs. We didn't change our opinions. We didn't Mm -hmm. change each other's opinions. But now we take vacations together. We look after each other's kids. We're friends. We love each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's is a lovely, lovely
1: example, and and one that I don't know feels rare <laughs> today.
0: It does. So, it's a
2: very poisonous atmosphere yeah. in which you know people use terms like idiots, and really, it's it's become very, very poisoned. And we need to get back to dialogue. Dialogue does not mean between two, as many people think it means. It means dia, which is through, logos, higher mind. Mm. Dia, logos, come together and experience higher mind together. And I think that's what we need, dia, logos. We need deep dialogue, the practice of dialogue to heal these social wounds.
1: Yes, that um, was very well said. So we've touched a little bit on this, but I want to come back to it. Um, You were talking about dissolving wounds, and I I actually really like that. I like that. I I think it is more um, striking than healing wounds, which which is good, but I love the idea of dissolving them. So uh, in the book you talk about... Uh, the power of forgiveness to dissolve wounds. And I'll I'll read a brief quote here. Forgiveness has the power to dissolve wounds. It is the bridge to reconciliation and new life. It releases attachment to being the injured party. Forgiveness refuses to be dominated by perpetual resentment. So, obviously, we see many, many, both individual and communal wounds around the world. So, How do we get to this forgiveness, both individually and communally?
2: I think the core of the answer to that question is when we realize that living in unforgiveness is a state of living with a kind of toxic element in one's psyche, One of my teachers, and there are many in the forgiveness work, was Everett Worthington, who was actually a professor teaching forgiveness for married couples, even in the divorce process, how to divorce but with love and forgiveness. And one day, he came home and found his mother brutally beaten to death in their home in Virginia. Oh, wow. And he had to take the experience of forgiveness of the murderer to another level. And he said, I realized I just could not live with the toxic sense of hatred and anger and resentment. And that that would eat away at my own peace of mind. So, you know... Also in South Africa, I I met people who really practiced forgiveness or a boy in Northern Ireland where the British soldier sent a, a rubber bullet right into his face at close point and he, as a 10-year-old, he was blinded. Mm. And he talks about having nothing but unforg- unconditional love for that person and complete mm. forgiveness. Because he said the blindness actually gave him a whole new perspective on the importance and meaning of his life and using his life as a vehicle for peace. Mm.
1: I think that's a way in. But yeah. And as, you've, is, as you're as you pointing out, really the practice of forgiveness has so much more to do with us than it does necessarily with the other person. You know, as, as you have mentioned, the you know, in the first case, a gentleman who's um, had the murder of a relative um, who, when he said, I couldn't live with that, I couldn't live with that, level of anger and you know resentment and so he was realizing how much it was impacting him not to forgive and what a positive thing it was for him to be able to move past that so um let's turn to the section on peace um and Perhaps you could share a story with us of how you've seen the Soul Awakening practice bring peace. Do you have a a story about that? Uh, I don't have a
2: story specifically about the book and the practice, except that it's been deeply significant for people. Mm. But I, I would say that that sense of where people have felt the insight is in that sense of the generativity and dynamic nature of peace. and that you know their prior concept was whew, peace. I've got a moment's peace. I can (laughs) sit and pray, or I can, you know, meditate, or I can do breathing exercises. I can get relieved of the stress, or that sense of peace is the antidote to a chaotic and stressful world. And seeing, in fact, then that peace is something you can carry out into the world. The peace is creative and generative. It's a force. It's a dynamic radi. That's why we use the word radiating.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And when the prayer came to me, you know, it, it was very strong. It was like a sunrise, peace mm. radiating. Mm. That sense. Beautiful. When you when you shift into that sense of I am a bearer of peace. I bring peace to the world. It's not that I escape from the world through peace and find, you know, quiet of mind, which is also, you know, legitimate and real. But that other sense of being a bearer of peace is so empowering. It's, you know, and there are so many people who... are are incredible forces for peace on the earth. You know, there's this woman, Frances McEnany, in Northern Ireland. Oh, just to warn you, we
1: only have about another minute, so go ahead.
2: Uh, I was doing a workshop there, and I asked her, how did you get involved in peace? She said, well, I was shot in the streets one morning going to work, and they thought I would die. And there was a bullet lodged next to my aorta, and they, the surgeons told me they couldn't take it out. And so she's a woman who lives with a bullet next to her heart. She, she survived, yeah. but she actually has a bullet lodged right next to her heart. Mm-hmm. And she you know, is extremely active, and bringing Protestants and Catholics together in Northern Mm. Ireland. Wow. With
1: that, we've come to the end of the program. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of The Yoga Hour. We have been discussing how we can establish a consciousness of unity and connection through soul awakening practice with our special guest, James O.D., activist, mystic, and the author of several books, including the one we've been talking about today, Soul Awakening Practice. You can find out more about his work at James O.D. That's his last name is ODEA.com. Thank you so much, James O.D., for joining us.
2: Thank you, Laura.
1: Join us next week when Phil Goldberg, the author of a new biography, The Life of Yogananda, the story of the yogi who became the first modern guru. And Phil Goldberg will be joining Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien to discuss the fascinating life of this extraordinary leader. Uh, For those of you living in the San Jose area, you can join Yogacharya and Phil Goldberg on May 13th at uh, 1245 p.m. for a tribute to Yogananda, special satsang. Uh, The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. For more information about the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, visit csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. And if you like the show, go ahead and tell a friend about it. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team regular host, founder, and director of The Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Sean Smith, and Jeff Comfort in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again on a future episode of The Yoga Hour. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet.